going on? Welcome into the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In The Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. This is episode 45 of the program for Monday, December the 14th. 2020, however you listen to this thing, thank you for doing so. You can find the podcast basically on all platforms out there. Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify. If you want to listen over on InTheMoneyPodcast.com, I would encourage you to do so. You can find this show along with all the other content available from In The Money Media over there on InTheMoneyPodcast.com. If you're someone who watches and listens on YouTube, go on over to YouTube, that search bar, Matt Burney, your show, you'll get this episode along with the 44 prior. As far as this week's show is concerned, Friday feature, we'll be taking a look at a big bulky field on turf at the fairgrounds on Friday. Race number nine, Mark Mahoney will help us out, hopefully guide us in the right direction. He was the only one to correctly identify the winner of last week's Friday feature, and he will be the final Friday feature guest of 2020. Uh, Whoever ultimately, if you decide to get involved in the contest and you correctly identify the winner, I will contact you and we'll figure out a time to get things set up, but it won't be in 2020. I'll get into all those details here in a little bit. Uh, Along with the Friday feature this week, you know, there were enough people that enjoyed last week's little piece of going through the late pick five at Gulfstream on Friday. I thought I would bring that back and a little bit of a gift to all of us horse players. The Fairgrounds has about a $28,000 carryover in their late pick five sequence on Wednesday. So I will go over that sequence here throw out some horses. Maybe you like them. Maybe you hate them. Maybe you use them. Maybe you toss them. Entirely up to you. And really doesn't make a difference to me. The big thing for these segments is to just kind of present a forum, not just for me. And I'm hopeful there are more folks. A lot of people enjoyed it last week, but there there wasn't a ton of suggestions or a ton of back and forth. I'm hopeful we can open things up where people start throwing out different horses and reasons that they like them. Are you going to key them? Are you going to just spread deep in this race? Why? Those sort of things. Not just hearing it from me, because I, I already know what I think, but I'm curious what all of you think, because while this is what I'm my plan is going into a sequence like this, maybe there's something I completely missed, and one of you out there watching or listening, you stumbled upon it, you said, you know what, maybe this is better for everybody to share, and I get it, you don't want to give away all your all your goodies, but that's where ticket construction and things like that come into play. So I think it's a nice midweek piece. This is going to be the most timely Monday episode we've had in a long time, where by the time this thing is out on Monday night, you're going to probably listen to it either then or sometime on Tuesday. And then the pick five sequence kicks off with race number five on Wednesday from the fairgrounds. So this is an all New Orleans pod as far as content with racing is concerned. The Friday feature race number nine down in uh, in New Orleans, the fairgrounds. And then on Wednesday, about $28,000 that late pick five carryover races five through nine. We'll go into that. Let's talk about year-end scheduling here. You've got this episode. There will be an episode next week. It will not be on Monday. It will be recorded on Tuesday. This is, if you are somebody on YouTube, this is the last time you will see any of this. I'm moving next Monday. I won't have my office set up by the time the pod needs to be recorded. So, Next week is going to probably be audio only. That doesn't mean that it won't be on YouTube. We'll just have the slate up, um, the, the title card slate, this guy over here, the cartoon. And, you know, I a lot of it will depend on if Santa Anita has drawn their races for opening day. Many of you, I would assume, unless you're brand new to it, many of you recognize the day after Christmas is opening day out at Santa Anita. We have the grade one Malibu, the grade one La Brea. I think there's usually one or two other stakes on the card. I don't know if they're going to have it drawn. Yet at that point, whether they do or don't, I will at least go over some of what I thought were the best performances of 2020 as a whole. Kind of look at it as more or less a year in review um, kind of show. And and if Santa Anita has drawn, I'll throw out a couple of opinions. It probably won't be a deep dive again because I'll be in the midst of what'll look like, uh, you know, carnage with boxes and all sorts of different things going on at the new place. So. Uh, that will be the final episode of 2020. That week following between Christmas and New Year's, there won't be anything. I know PTF is trying to put together some things about different you know, shows, all the other programs, all the other pods, try to kind of put together a little bit of a, a best of the year sort of thing. Um, you know where you can find all these shows. You can go through whatever feed you use, or if you're over on YouTube, again, you can find anything you'd like. But That's just kind of what's on tap for the remainder of this year. You've got this episode, we'll have one more, and then we'll be off that week leading into, and our first one back, I believe, will be the 4th of January, 
Monday the 4th. So whoever wins the Friday feature this week, that's when you'll be on. And again, I'll contact you at the end of the week anyway, but just forewarning, get it out there. Let it be known. So let's turn on to uh, the Friday feature for this week. Race number nine at the fairgrounds. Uh, again, we're going to have Mark Mahoney on. Hopefully he can guide us in the right direction. And then from there, it's going to be a little bit of working in reverse where that's the Friday race. But then we'll be talking about pick five coming up on Wednesday, the carryover of $28,000. So first things first, let's get into the Friday feature, though. And again, if you want to be involved in the Friday feature, be where Mark is on the show for January the 4th. You need to leave your selection for the 9th at the fairgrounds on Friday beneath the video player on YouTube. If you are correct, I will contact you and we'll make something happen. First things first, we got to hear about the race. And we got to hear what our guest, Mark Mahoney, has to say about it. Here we go. Friday feature for this week, race nine down at the fairgrounds. All right, Friday feature time. The only person to correctly identify the winner last week was Mark Mahoney. He joins us here for this week's Friday feature. We're looking at the ninth race at the fairgrounds on Friday. And Mark, first things first, thanks for taking a few minutes and hopping aboard, helping us out with this race because... To be honest, when I saw it was a 14-horse field on a Friday afternoon and it seems like the weather's supposed to be good, I said, this is a perfect opportunity, and now the ball is in your court. First things first, how are you? Good, how are you? Thank you for having me, man. Of course, and all, all things considered, I guess first, let's go back. And, and what was it about Wicked Mercury that, that was sort of the stick-out to you? Because to be honest, you were the only one that had the horse. Pace-wise, and I know you've discussed it before on the show about handicapping the jockey, but just from where I thought he was going to sit, having Paco on him just seemed like he was going to get the trip that will would be able to get it done, and it happened to play out exactly that way. <laughs> and if my memory serves correct, we weren't dealing with too short a price, uh, five to two somewhere around there, I believe? Yeah, it kind of drifted up. Uh, it paid a little more than I thought. I was kind of thinking it was going to be like a, an even two, maybe even less than that, but no, it drifted up right around five to two a little little extra meat on it than I anticipated, but yeah, I can't complain. That's always a positive. Let's get a little bit of background. Where are you from? How did you get involved in racing? Things like that. Uh, Springfield, Mass. And, uh, Real, wait, hang, wait a minute. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Now, I, I grew up in West Springfield. Okay. So I'm very, right. I'm very familiar without, you don't need to, you know, give out where you actually live, but what part mm -hmm. of Springfield? Uh, right near Wenick, which is now when you Western New England. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, when I was, uh, not that anybody really cares about this, but we will go down memory <laughs> lane. I, uh, for a few summers, I worked as a landscaper over at Western New England, right there. Really? On, uh, oh, All yeah. Right. That was that was part of me and me and about four of my buddies. It was, we still mm. joke about it now. It was the best job that we ever had. And, and I don't mean to say <laughs> that, and I don't enjoy what I do now, but it was just so much fun where but, we went out there and, and cleaned things up. So great. I, I love the area over there, 16 acres and, and things like that. So. Oh, yeah. That's a very nice area. I can't. Yeah, but I can even I must add something to clean up because uh, some on-campus housing, off-campus housing is uh, right near my street, and there there can be a little good time to be had there. So there might be a bit of a pickup to uh, have to occur. But. It can get a little bit rowdy over there. We would we were more so in charge of taking care of the donuts over there and, and uh, going across the street. Oh, what did they call it? But basically, the the sort of upperclassmen the the they have a little sort of apartment area yeah uh, gateway village over yes, there yes gateway that's where it was yeah. the, the <laughs> dump is over there where we had to go all sorts of stuff great yeah. times uh anyway i digress go back into yeah. it i apologize <laughs> well yeah my old man as any good parent would do would uh take us over to state lines to get uh fireworks up in new hampshire and uh we had to throw the troopers off our scent so we'd stop at the old hinsdale uh dog park that was up there yeah. and uh it started just him giving us some money when we were younger and pick up the pick up the dogs go from there and it just built from liking that to progressing the horses getting into the whole background of the math the problem solving part of it i like and just kind of blossomed there and started where i think it was the preakness back when shackleford won it was the first like real bet i put in and i was like oh 50 bucks that's easy this, this is gonna be a great way to make money and then 30 credit score points later kind of got better at it and figured it out and just something I enjoy doing. Now, interesting, I've, I've spoken with a number of people who have started off with sort of a harness background. I haven't had a ton of people that I've chatted with start off with a greyhound background. Is it, from a handicapping standpoint, because I genuinely know nothing about it, is it very similar or are there sort of major differences that you needed to kind of figure out as time went on? 
at first going into it, it seemed like it would be very similar, and it's all told looking back, dogs is an absolute melee, even more unpredictable than, than our sport of choice. But uh, it, a lot of it was, especially starting out young, it's more up close. I, it took me forever to actually get to a actual racetrack. I, I hadn't got to one until parks a couple of years ago. So it was more seeing the dogs, seeing how they behaved and it, it took me a long time to transition that to seeing horses in the flesh and I'm absolutely horrific at that aspect of it. I know there's a lot of good uh, people in the business who are good at seeing horses and being able to tell their attitudes, how they're looking. I am not that person, but it's, for dogs, it was more of that. And in person, up close, they're 10 feet away from you. You can see the just the way they're behaving. And it, it, all it takes is one on the turn, one dog to blow up four other dogs, and it's, it's a wide open, wide open affair. So you know, it's the- definitely, definitely different. The, the body language piece to thoroughbreds specifically, you know, I, I've made no bones about it. That is not a strength of mine. I I rely on the people who do have the eye and, and the mm-hmm. sort of knowledge about that sort of thing. And I feel like that is, if you're someone like myself, if you're someone like yourself or anyone else who you weren't, you didn't grow up in the industry or you didn't grow up around horses or anything like that. That's one of those things. I'm not suggesting it can't be a learned piece. I feel like you can learn anything, but at the same time, it's just one of those things that I am so far behind anyone who has done it their entire life that I, even if I tried to use it on sort of a day-to-day basis, it, I mean, in reality, it's going to be one of the, the lesser tools that I am, I'm familiar with or, or it's not mm-hmm. one of my strengths. It's probably the easiest way to put it. Yeah. So um, I, that's at least the, the thing for me. If I go to a track even now where I, I've been fortunate enough to see enough horses up close and you know, for the most part, I'm there when there are big races going on. So they genuinely all look like a million dollars. So mm. it's difficult for me to differentiate. But these people who have grown up in the business or have worked in it, especially with the horses, you know, they I feel like that's just one of those. It's a hidden handicapping tool that the paper is never going to be able to guide you on. I concur 100 percent. Absolutely. And there's times when we have gone, whether it's Saratoga or Parks or you actually get close to them, see them go by, and, oh, yeah, this, it looks great, it looks great. And then, <laughs> nope, not even close. So I, especially when it goes in conflict of the actual handicapping, when I like a horse and I don't, unless he looks absolutely 100% washed, I discount it more often than not because it's come back to bite me in the, the backside and me trying to punch above my weight, I guess. But I kind of throw that, out, that part out of it. <laughs> And that's one of those, you know, it's part of the reason that I do think it's, you know, we can all go through and we can learn about going through the form and and reading between the lines and things like that. But, you know, pedigree only goes so far when you have someone who has an astute eye like a Maggie Wolfendale or or a Gabby Gaudet or an Acacia Courtney. They are all incredibly astute at identifying sort of a turf hoof. Or things of that nature, where I would, I'm lost in the woods. Like, this is, I'm not even going to try to make a call on that because I'd be doing myself a disservice. So I rely on the experts for that sort of thing. Follow their lead. Again, the, the pedigree on paper, I can do what anybody else can do and go through and find out. You know, this sire is 14% with first-time turf runners. I can't tell you that this horse in particular, from a sire who may only be seven or eight percent on grass. They've got a turf hoof, and they're going to take to it like a duck takes the water and pay $22. So that's I, I rely on the experts for that sort of thing. And, and unfortunately for yeah. us, we're not going to have an opportunity to see these horses before we go over this race or the folks who are sharper than us at identifying positive body language and things like that. But this race as a whole, you know, I guess before we dive into it, what do you tend to find yourself handicapping or having more success with certain types of races than others? This obviously being a two-turn route on turf. Do you have success with these? Do you prefer dirt sprints? What is your sort of forte? The way I generally have found out the way I play, because I mean, it took me a while to try and find an identity of how I wanted to play and kind of whether I was sequences, play to win, play exactas, and early on, I think I made a mistake a lot of people make is just I was trying to do everything everywhere and have too many opinions and then next thing you know you're crushed under the burden of them so kind of turned into I like to play like sequences so when I look at a card I don't so much look at the race types as it's 
I'll look at sequences, see what favorites look good within the kind of, in a race, which ones look beatable, and then kind of build what I'm going to do for the day around where I think I can be the favorite, get a price in, and then kind of work my way out from there, which it might be a little different than a lot of people do it because it kind of, I know some people, especially a buddy of mine, doesn't like to know the odds when he handicaps. He doesn't want to have that favorite bias. And for me, I have to, I like to identify right away who's going to be the favorite, who I think is going to take money, and then where can I try and beat him on a card and go from there. So, and I, I like that idea where you go through and, and sort of identify, okay, this is an opportunity here, and now how do we build from there? Obviously, well, perhaps you have gone through this, whatever sequence this you're maybe looking at, whether it's the pick four or the pick five that this race is included in. When you have a giant field like this, and that's assuming we don't get scratched down to fewer than this, but a field of 14, yeah. anytime a race like this shows up in any sort of a multi-race sequence, I can't help but get a little bit excited because even your favorite can't help but be somewhere in that five to two range, unless they just are complete standout on paper, just because... There are so many options. They can't help but sort of inflate some of the favorites' prices. Agree entirely, especially the, these turf races. Turf was, took me a little longer, I think, to, to get down handicapping. It certainly was more entertaining for me to watch earlier on because that cavalry charge kicks in and they come around the turn more often. Now. Especially if it, as a younger player, it was great to see. It was great racing, but I also found it was a heck of a lot harder than dirt where it is more often or not up front you're winning. Uh, better class you're in it's it's more easy more easy easier to start handicapping i feel like a dirt race and then working your way up to turf than necessarily starting with turf but all in all the more i've done it the more i like turf races and I, they i agree with you 100 percent. they definitely seem to have better payouts even with the chalk isn't as chalky as then so even if you do get hung up on one you can still kind of work around it and this race was no, no exception because i stared at it and i was like oh boy here we go <laughs> well let's dive into it race number nine at the fairgrounds on friday again if you want to be in mark's position on january 4th because that's the next time we'll be doing a friday feature you need to leave your selection beneath the video player on youtube race nine a mile and a 16th on the turf non-winners of one other than you've got an overflow field we've got 15 as far as the aes are concerned you've even got a 16th but we don't need to use that horse because that's an MTO and it seems like everything will be good to go. So you're looking right now, the body of the field, you've got 14 signed on in here. I mean, the the thing that first stuck out to me when I went through this race, and I said it to you before we started, I have not done any sort of a deep dive on this race, so this is going to be giving the keys to you and you're taking over, but I couldn't help but be struck by the areas that these horses are coming from. It's not like you're seeing all horses come from Churchill Downs. You've got horses coming from Churchill, Keeneland. I know they're both in Kentucky, but two different tracks. You've got horses coming from New York. You've got a horse coming from Southern California. You've got horses coming from all over the place, which makes this handicapping puzzle that much more difficult. I feel like it's it's, it's a good time for turf racing here. Early in the winter, there's only so many options you can. When Laurel shuts down, when Aqueduct shuts down, especially now with just Los Al in between the Del Mar and San Anita meets. So uh, Fairgrounds is going to be packing them in for... Just you got to go where the turf plays between there, Tampa, Gulfstream. There's only X amount of options, and exactly what you said, the variety of where these ones came from completely had me kind of uh, starting looking there. The favorite, I immediately did not like or do not like. It's just she looks like an ouchy horse. There's so many layoffs in the line. She's had 240 plus day layoffs. She had another 90 day layoff with a vet scratch down at Belmont there. Never really put that much together. I'm time form, nothing really sticks out. That's the probably the handicapping tool I lean on the most would be time form. Go use that, go into formulator, kind of go from there. But a lot of my handicapping is done with time form, looking through the old GPs, and nothing about her really stood out that much. Uh, I know she's got the best the late pace figures, but from where she's sitting, I they have the pace. Anticipating a hot pace, the nine leading it. Nine is coming off a year layoff. Even if she goes up front, I don't know how, how far they're going to send her. Uh, the one thing that is interesting is the nine who they have on the pace is also Sheree DeVoe, yes. same as the five, yep. uh, which name I'm going to just call it Frenchie because I'm going to butcher the <laughs> pronunciation of the five's name. <laughs> but... So uh, there could be a rabbit effect. I don't see the nine winning it. I don't see the nine carrying the speed that far. And the one sitting right behind 
who I think are going to be right behind didn't interest me all that much either. So I started to go into them, and uh, that's where I – something we touched on earlier, actually, it's a good segue, because the one that I initially liked and who I probably would make my pick, zero to 60, the turf underneath is not there. And that's something where I'm hoping will drop down, and I'm curious – how much you and how many other people who watch your show put into those turf pedigrees when it's not turf underneath, how often do you completely get rid of a horse like that? Or will you give them the benefit of the doubt sometimes if it doesn't necessarily show the pedigree to do turf? I, for me, it's more a matter of, so let's just use just any horse in general that, that may not be really well bred for it on the bottom. At that point, I'm going to pr- probably more faith in the trainer, especially if it is someone who does particularly well with grass horses. I mean, obviously, the one that comes to mind first is Chad. If Chad has a horse that is bred for dirt and he's still running the horse on turf, it's either A, a good sign because he thinks the horse actually can run on the grass, or B, it's a bit of a disaster because he doesn't think the horse is good enough to run on dirt. So, Or maybe it's somewhere in the middle. But with connections like Al Stahl's, I, I tend to think, and the fact that the horses run as well as she has on the turf in the past, granted going shorter, it at least makes me think, you know what, I I think there's reason to believe that that's where they want to keep her. Now, at the same time, I think another factor that can possibly come into it from a pedigree standpoint is the chance that perhaps these are horses who, while they're bred top and bottom for dirt, maybe they are a little bit on the outsy side. Maybe they've got bad feet, whatever the case may be. The turf tends to be a little bit kinder to the hooves than than the dirt does. And, And maybe if it's just simply a longevity play where these are young horses, they're talented horses. I mean, we have a number of horses in here who have run three, four, five times. And the, it seems like there is plenty of ability in a field like this. I'm not saying you've got grade one or grade two types, but you've got pretty solid mm-hmm. racehorses. Maybe it is a matter of we want to try to make them last as long as possible as opposed to run them on dirt, have them laid up for another six months, bring them back for one start and that sort of thing. So I, I think there are a number of factors that go into trying to decipher is this a good thing or a bad thing that a horse who may not have any kind of pedigree on the bottom is running on the grass. The fact that she's run as well as she has on the turf thus far, I'm going to look at it and say if Al Stahl is bringing her back here, that he probably feels like she's better suited for the turf than anything else. But I think it is something to keep in mind because you do get some of these lesser barns. I remember when I was still working for the racing form and we would be in the office and one of our favorite exercises, it didn't happen often, but we would go through and we would try to find horses who we thought were just genuinely running on the wrong surface. And they were going out for lower profile connections and maybe they were in sort of a low to mid-level claimer. And the idea was to try to find somebody with some cash, get a hold of them and say, look, this horse is running on the wrong surface. Grab them for what you can right now. Immediately change them over. I'm not telling you it's going to work or not, but I mean, they're running on the wrong surface. Yeah, the, the one that comes to mind most, and I would have to go back and actually specifically pull up the PPs, but I know this this did happen with him, was the horse that uh, George Papadromo had, and he ended up, uh, his name is slipping my mind right now. He ran a million times, but he was running on the wrong surface. He was a Bernardini on turf, and all of a sudden they, he got him, they moved him over to dirt, and he won a bunch of cash. So, you know, it, it, it is one of those things that everyone, it's a little bit of trial and error for everyone involved. But I, I agree with you. I think you always want to be cognizant of those sort of things and, and take note for better or for worse. Yeah, it's, it's Alice, especially when you bring up Alice Dahl, too. His numbers, when I actually looked at turf, uh, dirt to turf, look good. American Pharaoh on top, they look like they're good on the, uh, the turf, dirt. They can handle pretty much anything like it was the underneath, underneath the uh, dam one, the demoiselle, grade one, so she got talent, but she was on dirt. Uh, her sire was dirt-based, was on the Kentucky Derby Trail for a while. So that part kind of made me a little nervous about turf, but it's it, it just the same way you put it. There's there's times where I think that the turf is, you don't necessarily have to be bred for it to be able to run on it. And after after looking around, there, there wasn't much else that really jumped out. Uh, it was I got it right here. I hear you. The thirteen was the other one I was looking at, and there's a couple coming out of that last Keeneland race on the seventeenth of October, and I had found no excuses for him. And watching that replay, two before at Keeneland, he got completely pinched coming down the stretch, got shuffled back. Tyler eased him off, but watching that replay, we had a couple other ones in there coming back here. He just had no excuse. 
They've had a couple runbacks from that late race. The third went off 81 to one at a stakes at Del Mar. Fourth came back, got blown out of Churchill in a starter allowance. It's, I, I couldn't get behind that one. It was more good times, uh, which is the 11 is a maker mm-hmm. stretching them out, but he's already stretched them out. This is the fourth time, I believe come back home, fifth time coming back. And I know maker claiming a horse has that, has those numbers, but after four tries, if it's not there, I'm beginning to think it's sometimes it's just not there. So there's, here's a horse in here that I'm curious what you thought of. Um, and, and hopefully I'm not giving away whoever you may end up picking in here or ultimately landed on. Again, me just sort of going through doing a quick once over. And now I'm doing a little bit more. You know, a horse like Broadway Lady, the most recent run, There's these are sort of part of my favorite kind of angles where the horse ran on dirt most recently. Obviously, can't really pick her feet up on the main track. She's she's much better suited for the turf. The run two starts back. Yeah, she broke her maiden, and, and I get it. A lot of people don't like horses taking on winners for the first time. I would effectively consider this taking on winners for the first time because this is the first time she's done it on the surface that she wants. But just doing a quick little glance over, I mean, that field that she beat has actually come back to be pretty solid. You've got a number of fillies and mares who have come back and improved their speed figure, including the run, the third place finisher who came back and broke her maiden in her next start. So what do you do with a horse like Broadway Lady, who probably is going to be a pretty fair price in a race like this? Well, if you meet your picker. Oh. <laughs> <'Cause> that... <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> That's, no, that was a perfect seamless segue there. Uh, yeah. Washed off the turf, so I put no stock in that turf race whatsoever. Mark Cassie knows what he's doing. I don't know. Uh, the Kentucky Downs race, I, I don't know what you do with Kentucky Downs. I throw that place out. There's a hill. It would be it's, it's uh, overseas is something that I cannot handicap. There's a couple times there's money in the account and TVG's on, and I'm up late <laughs> enough, and I'm like, oh, yeah, give it a shot. No, it's a donation. So I look at Kentucky Downs the same way. I, I don't put much stock in those past performances. There's horses that like that, horses for course there, some that come out looking and they say it adds fitness. And if you look at the line after that, she ran there, didn't do her best, came back, handled Keeneland, which is always a good plus. And after getting washed off, I'm gonna put no stock into that into that off the turf race. And I just like where she's gonna be sitting. I think she's the most talented ones who are gonna be in the first flight, gonna be able to come around, make a run, the closer the uh, have a lot of work to do in the field like this to get that trip to get a closer when there's no great closer in here. Peter's kitten's got some great late pace numbers. I'm not, wasn't sold on that. Wasn't sold on the two. Frenchie the five. I'm already trying to try and play again. So we were talking like how to look at um, segments or, or how you're going to uh, play. Um, I like a single in the following race, the nightcap at uh, the last race. So I'll probably play it as a double. Broadway lady would be my pick, but I'll, I'd probably throw a couple in, look at the will page and see how they're going to go. But I, I nailed it. I'm <laughs> Broadway lady on top. So. I, I apologize for blowing the spot. It was just one of those where, and these are the sort of things that, that I kind of gravitate toward. I like horses who have a little bit of tactical ability. I don't need to have a horse mm-hmm. who comes from 100 out of it, no matter how fun that running style is to watch when they hit high gear. Yeah. There are just so many things that they need to overcome. It, look, you're always at the mercy of pace and trip. This filly has a little bit of tactical ability. Again, that most recent run for the reason you laid out, draw a line through it, off the turf, don't really care. And when I pulled up Formulator here, you know, third place finisher, not only was she a next out winner, but she came back and earned a 74 buyer. Fourth place finisher, a 77 in her next start. And and then you go back to the sixth place finisher, a 79. So all of the figs, and I think this is a thing where Andy Byer sort of laid it out in, in his books. And I think it is... Some people get so hung up on the class aspect where, yes, I recognize that it's much more difficult to do things against better horses. And you can even just say the same thing about human athletes. You know, you could look like a like a world beater in double A. When you go to triple A, you're inherently playing, taking on better company. I, you know, but when you see that the performances of the horses that she defeated have not only been comparable, they've been better than what they did in that run prior that to me, while she yes is technically stepping up in class as far as the turf is concerned, I don't know that I can look at it and say she's taking on horses that are necessarily that much faster than she is at this point. And if you get anything close to that twelve to one morning line, I think she's very interesting. I agree entirely. Here you got to be looking for looking for value because it, it's 
And we were saying they're coming down here to because that's what's available for turf, but it's still the best turf horses are put away. The ones who are going to be warming up, I feel like, are going to aim for Goldstream. That Tampa Bay turf gets a lot of good play. So I, I fairgrounds would be my third choice for what's your what you'd be aiming for. If you got a great one, you're going to be looking to set up for one of the turf stakes going on January, February, early in the year. And I, even a minor step forward, I think, can easily take through. And another thing I like is, how you said, a little bit of tactical speed because I think some of the boat anchors in this race when the turf to back up, three, nine, they're closing out to work their way around them already with, I think, the first runs you're going to see coming from the outside horses, 13, 14, you have to go six paths wide. And I, I don't think they're talented enough to be able to to close that well, get past everyone, and well, the six has a legitimate shot to hang on and be able to get in there for a price. Twelve to one on the morning line. Mark Mahoney's selection for race number nine at the fairgrounds on Friday. It is the number six Broadway Lady for Mark Cassie. Adam Biscitz is scheduled to ride again. It's a big full field. If you want to be in Mark's position on January fourth, the next time that we do one of these exercises, you need to leave your selection beneath the video player on YouTube. It's the only way that I'll take the submission. If you're correct, I will contact you and we'll get things set up. Mark, you are included in this. I wish you the best of luck because, to be honest, I'm going to do a little bit more work on the race, but I'm probably going to be tailing you as well. Uh, I think this is a very nice little look here, especially at the price. That's the big thing. Uh, you know, it's not like she's hopelessly overmatched. No, no, it, it's it's a race where you're going to take a price. If, if you're if you have a chance to win a price, I'd rather lose a couple bucks trying to aim for that price than to load up on a favorite just for the sake of you loaded up on a favorite because you're taking the chalky way out. And I'd, I'd rather lose money to aiming for that price every once in a while than hitting that three to one chalk. And that, that's that. That's for me. It's always looking for a price. The name of the game is value, and I think we may have a little bit of value here with Broadway Lady in the ninth at the fairgrounds on Friday. Mark, thank you again so much for taking a little bit of time and coming on. Good luck this Friday and going forward, and hopefully we talk again soon. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me, and uh, everyone out there, good luck, and hopefully someone else is in my spot next week. <laughs> it sounds good. Thanks again to Mark Mahoney helping us out with race number nine on Friday, the Friday feature. If you want to be in Mark's position on January 4th, Leave your selection beneath the video player on YouTube. If you correctly identify the winner, I will contact you. We will get things set up for what feels like a million years from now, but it's only a couple of weeks out. So uh, thank you again to Mark. Let's take a look at racing that's going to happen before the Friday feature. Coming up on Wednesday, still at the fairgrounds, still in New Orleans. Weather looks good for the entirety of the week. Knock on wood. There, I think there's a chance of rain Saturday. I think it's supposed to hold off. That doesn't make a difference to us, though, for this. This is on Wednesday afternoon, races 5 through 9. There's about a 27,700 and change dollar. That sounds right. Let's just call it nearly 28,000, shall we? Almost a $28,000 carryover in the pick 5 sequence. Again, 5 through 9. It's not the best quality racing that you'll ever, ever see, but I, I think there are horses and some opportunities where maybe you can take a stand with a favorite you really like, or maybe you can take a stand with a price that you can look at and say, you know what, this horse is going to go off 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 to 1, and I think they have every bit as good a chance of winning as maybe the 2 to 1 favorite does. So I, at least that's the way that I looked at it. I thought it was an interesting sequence. I feel like there are some opportunities, and clearly this has not been the easiest nut to crack over the past few days if here we are again with another carryover going into Wednesday. So we'll start things off. Race number 5, the first leg of the sequence, mile 70 yards. These are 12-5 maiden claimers. To me, there were only two horses that were super interesting. One of them considerably more so than others. And I'm not getting into ticket construction here. This is just going to be me throwing out some horses that I like and that I don't like. Do with it what you will. And please, leave your suggestions and your thoughts beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. The two horses that I was most interested in, the number one right here, making Tracks, goes out for 10-strike racing. Uh, first off the claim, this is a horse that will stretch back out to two turns on dirt. Uh, you can make the argument from a speed figure standpoint, doesn't have a giant edge on anyone in this field. I couldn't help but get past a, a statistic like this, though, for the new connections, specifically the new trainer. Past four years, first after being claimed by first-time blinkers, and you'll note again, coming off the claim, the blinkers go on, as noted here in the racing form, first time. Five for nine, eight times in the money with a 304 ROI. So based on the strike rate and the return on investment, you're not dealing with horses that are going to pay $15, $20. You get a lot of short prices, but the barn 
does very well with them. And in a pick five or a pick four or any kind of a multi-race sequence, sure, you want to get some prices in there, but it's basically, if we're being honest, it's survive in advance. You know, it's not a matter of, you don't need to reinvent the wheel in all five legs. You got to have a couple of interesting opinions if it's going to pay anything, or you just press up a very chalky sequence. But the idea is you just got to continue on and get through. I believe, I'm going to butcher the quote a little bit. Somebody can correct me. Steve Christ called it something along the lines of, um, you know, I don't even want to say it, but it was basically the idea of use who you need to use without getting beat, depending on what your your budget is. And that's why I believe he's a he has said in the past that, you know, these multi-race sequence really aren't for the faint of heart. They're for folks that have a little bit of a budget to work with because they're going to cost you quite a bit if you want to have any sort of real coverage and some interesting horses without it being all chalk. So making tracks is not one of the interesting horses, but I do think many people will look at this horse and many people will be using, if not outright keying, in this opening leg. The other horse that I just, I thought there was a chance anyway, could get brave out there on the front end was the six, Dino's Cape. Dino's Cape stretches out in distance to two turns for the first time at this level. Now, this horse has gone two turns at the maiden claiming level in the past, but it was at the maiden 50 and the maiden 30. As you can see, I have these two races circled here, one at the fairgrounds, one at Oaklawn Park. They were both earlier in 2020. From a speed figure standpoint, I think both of those races are, at the very least, close to being good enough to win, if not fast enough outright to win. Couple that with the stretch out and distance. I think this one can be a little bit closer, if not clear off to the front end. Goes out for Chris Hartman's barn. Two to one on the morning line. I think the one horse is going to be the favorite when it's all said and done. And I think the six is going to be your second choice. I, you know, again, it's not a matter of a super interesting or strong opinion in this opening leg, other than I do think the one, those are the sort of statistics. I get it, very small sample size, but there is enough there for me to look at it and say there's some legitimate let's call it signal in this spot as opposed to a bunch of noise. I think the one and the six, they're the two I was most interested in. I know a lot of people are going to look at this Aspison horse, uh, Guardsman Pass, the number three. You know, again, from a number standpoint, wouldn't stun me at all if the horse won. Pedigree would suggest distance isn't going to be a problem. You have an equipment change, stretching out on distance for the first time, dropping to the lowest level of this one's career. I just thought it was an interesting little number. Again, small sample, I recognize that. Past five years, first time blinkers, First time going a route of ground, 0 for 16, and only three of them have hit the board. This is a horse who's probably going to take a little bit of money. Might be that second or third choice, depending on what folks do with the six horse. But Guardsman Pass was just one of those where, you know what, you can't you can't take them all. Unless you got wicked pockets and you think it's going to pay an enormous amount, you got to make some decisions somewhere. I'm not going to use the three. One and six for me in the opening leg of this sequence. Move on to the second leg. And this is, to me, one of the better legs, one of the more intriguing legs, not just from a pick sequence, but I think individually you might be able to get some decent value in here. Uh, Beaten claimers, $17,500 is the claiming tag, about a mile and a 16th on the grass. Again, the weather sounds like it should be fine, so we should be looking at, I, I would assume, firm turf. You know, I have five horses listed here, three, four, five, six, eight. The big thing for me was basically there's one horse in particular I'm, well, a couple horses. We'll start off with the two, Epic. I don't want anything to do with this horse. He has numbers that are fast enough to win. I have nothing public. I have no public registered works since that most recent run on November the 5th. That, 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 that is a lengthy time off. I'm sure the horse is jogged, but I, I don't need to find out at, you know, odds of a four and a half to one or five to one that the horse is going to be short here for this race. Um, the turf record is fine. I didn't love that that open 25 race that he came out of um, down at Remington. You know, again, just another instance where you got to make a call somewhere. The other thing that I think is very difficult for a horse like this, and there is a horse that I like that has a similar running style. There's not a ton of speed in this race. And, and I just, boy, I feel like these deep closers, you're going to need to be so far superior if the pace scenario plays out the way that I think it might, the way that the Timeform U.S. pace projector suggests that it might, they've got it uh, as a blue pace, which would tend to favor horses on or near the early lead. So a horse like Epic, I think, is going to have his work cut out for him at what might be a sort of shortish to middling number. Uh, you got to want to, I'm going to use, and probably defensively, I really like this horse when he was in Southern California for Phil D'Amato, but it's just been a while since we've seen him at his best. He's another horse, too, that 
A is pretty void of early foot, and B, I always liked him at the longer distances, a mile and a quarter, a mile and a half. I wonder if this is going to be a little bit on the sharp side for him. You do have a positive little stat there for Asmussen's barn, though. Past five months, turf route first after a 60-180 to day layoff, uh, four for 12, seven in the money with a positive ROI. So you got to want to six to one on the line. I wouldn't fault anybody that said they wanted to take a shot, but those are the reasons that I'm a little bit, I'm, I'm, I'm approaching him at arm's length. I think he wants more ground. I'm not convinced that he's necessarily, you know, in the best form right now. And there are just some other intriguing horses that I thought in this race ahead of him. He would likely be a backup for me if I'm going to tear this thing. And the number four leader of men, he and Vinyl, they break side by side and they're kind of, you know, 1A and 1B. And I don't say that meaning that they're, you know, my air quotes picks in here. But I feel like if you like one, you kind of have to like the other. They have different running styles. Vinyl is going to be much closer to the pace. Leader of men, you know, you see that I've circled the one for 12 on the turf. He's run really well, though, on the grass, and he's done it against much better company. I'm not going to hold that dirt race most recently against him. You go to the run two starts back at Remington against Allowance Company. The winner that day came back and won next out with a 91. The third place finisher earned an 81. Sixth place, an 83 on dirt. The figure, I think, is legit, and if he can come back with that low 80, maybe even creep up into the mid-80 range, he's going to be a handful. His concern could be the the lack of pace that there is in this race. And for a horse who, he at least is a little bit more early foot than you got a Wana does, but he's by no means a burner. Meanwhile, a horse like Vinyl, I think can be up among the pace setters. My concern is, you know, you think about, let's use let's use New York as a whole. While we have seen horses from the Finger Lakes ship to Naira tracks and win and run well, typically that is a pretty substantial jump in class. And it's not a a knock, it's just the fact of the matter. One level here compared to the same level on another circuit is apples to oranges. And I just wonder if a horse like Vinyl, who's really seemingly turned a corner running at, you know, Louisiana Downs or running at Evangeline, but you get to the fairgrounds, and it, while it's still you're dealing with, you know, the, the overall jurisdiction of Louisiana, it's a different ball game. You're dealing with the big boys down there. And I, I just, I do wonder a little bit if this is a horse who doesn't quite class up to that level. And, and to the point I made earlier, right, you could argue the same thing about leader of men. But from a numbers standpoint, they are both very, very competitive in a field like this. And therefore, I have to use them in some fashion. Move on to the number six. This was one of the horses that I think is is kind of sneaky in a sequence like this. And I, I, depending on how much I want to put into this thing, Joe's bold cat for Kelly Rubley. You look at the horse overall. We haven't seen this one in the winner's circle since October of 2019. It came at Laurel. Uh, I believe the past two victories have come at Laurel, if I'm not mistaken. One of them was in a turf sprint. That race, uh, the most recent victory, was a route of ground. I think you look at this horse and you say, three for 40 lifetime, 10 times second or third. Horse doesn't like to win races, one for 20 at the distance. I feel like a New York bred N1X race is probably, it's it's very comparable, if not tougher, than this beaten 17-5 level at the fairgrounds. And I wonder if this is going to be just one of those sneaky... You know, on paper, horse looks kind of like, eh, doesn't like to get the job done. But maybe this is going to be that sort of class relief that a horse like this has been looking for for a while. And you can take advantage in, in a multi-race sequence like this. If this horse goes off anything close to that 8-1 to morning line, boom, there's your price that can spice this thing up in a big way. Again, I don't know that I would be using as an A, but I'm I'm at least intrigued enough with the sort of at very least, I'm going to call it lateral moving class, if not the class relief. I think a horse like Joe's Bold Cat could definitely uh, spice some things up here on Wednesday afternoon. Race seven, or excuse me, horse number seven, is, this is the opinion for me in the race, is that if armchair jockey wins, I lose. On figs, looks great. His run against better company. You know, starter allowance runs down in Florida on turf, I think are probably just pound for pound better than what we're dealing with here. See some decent names in the past performances. Mr. Dumas. Uh, you see a horse like High Noon Rider, who's an old veteran. And he just won some giant race uh, not too long ago at a million to one. Kurilov is 100 years old, but he, you know, he, these are decent enough horses. 
So the, why would I not like a horse like this? Goes out for Mike Maker. I, I think Mike Maker's as good as anyone when it comes to the, the training game, specifically with turf routers. Why do I not like this horse? And maybe I'm putting too much stock into a stat. Past four years, turf routes, first after a 60 to 180 day layoff at the fairgrounds. Maker trainees are one for 21 with, a, with four in the money with a 28 cent ROI. I, you know, it just kind of goes back to the idea that you got to make a decision at some point. You, you can't you can't just use them all. And if you did, good on you. If you're just somebody who likes to cash a ticket, but in the grand scheme of things, you're going to collect you know $10 on your $400 ticket. Good on you. I don't have time for that. I don't want to do that. That's not a that's not a a way to make money in the long run. I'm going to throw this horse out because there are enough other intriguing options in this race and a number like that for a barn like this, a barn that is this good. There is something to that, to me. That's just my opinion. I don't know if you agree or disagree. Let me know in the comment section beneath the video player on YouTube. I'm not going to use Armchair Jockey, the number seven horse, in this second leg of the sequence. I am going to use, and I, I, I probably would call him my pick if I needed to make a pick in this race. I don't know if I'll write about this race for RacingPicks.com. Be sure to check that out, though, either way, because I'm sure there will be at least one of these races included over there, if not more. The number eight, Clint Maroon, coming from Gulfstream West, took on beaten 25 claimers going a mile. Turf had a little bit of cut in it. Showed pace, close to hot fractions. Didn't really fold late, but from a finishing standpoint, he ended up fifth in a field of eight. When you note that here, you know, midway portion of the run, he's only a length back and he only loses by a length and three quarters. All in all, a fine effort. I like the form of it, though. That race as a whole, the only horse who regressed from a speed figure standpoint out of that race was the winner, Threshold, and he only regressed to a 70. Everyone else improved their buyer speed figure. The runner-up came back and earned an 80. Zulu, the third-place finisher, came back and earned an 80. Eighth-place finisher was the next-out winner with a 78. I think that race is probably a little bit better than it looks on paper. He may be able to clear off to the front, but even if he doesn't, he's shown the ability to sit and pass horses in the past, and... Again, I feel like it's going to be a little bit of class relief. Beating 25s in Florida, to me, are not the same as beating 17 fives in Louisiana. Uh, I think Clint Maroon's got a big chance, 6-1 to one on the morning line. Again, air quotes, he'd probably be my pick. But as you can see, I think this is a race where you could try to get a little bit creative and use a few different runners. Those are the first two legs. Let's move on to leg number three. All right, leg number three, race number seven. Maiden $15,000 claimers going a mile and 70 on the main track. There's an entry in here that's going to take a ton of money, a ton of money in here for Calumet. Typically, I would look at this and say, "Wow, you paid 50 grand for this horse, and you're willing to dump for 15." Or uh, what's the situation with the 1A? We don't have a number because it's a homebred. But the idea is, you know, I, I, there can be a moment where you get alarmed with giant drops so early in a horse's career down to the $15,000 level. If you paid X amount of dollars for him, that's effectively saying it ain't going to work. We got to find a level that the horse works at, and unfortunately, we're just going to take a loss here. Having said that, when it is a group like Calumet, they got money to burn. They're probably looking at it saying, you know what, we got to make room for some of the better horses. So, a horse like Oxwood is going to drop in class precipitously, going from the maiden special to the maiden claiming 15 level in a second lifetime start. Uh, goes out for Biscuitsa again, Joe Sharp's barn. This is a group that I could very easily see just taking a bit of a step forward here in lifetime start number two, getting the job done. The plain one, bold delivery. This one, I, I guess the good news for me would be there's a chance that if you get some sort of a better break, perhaps this one can be very close to the front end. And I really do believe, I've said it before, that these lower level groups, especially with maidens, if you make the front, you are at just such a tremendous advantage because so many of these horses have proven that they don't want to pass runners. Now, the concern I would have with a horse like Bold Delivery, I'm going to use both of them. I'm going to use them as A's. You know, the one, the one A, you get two for the price of one. The concern I have is that they're going to be so heavily backed that you're not going to get a ton of value and couple that with the chance that, look, I think they're the probably the most likely winners, but they're far from slam dunks. There's a re they're like red flags that they're even here. So... I wouldn't fault anybody that wanted to shop around. No exaggeration I thought about for Keith DeSormo. First-time starter, 6-1 uh, to one on the line. You see he's a son of exaggerator. They paid 47 for him. I don't know the entirety of the auction history, so maybe they ended up getting him on the cheap. But he's in for 15. 
DeSormo's barn is rolling along right now down in New Orleans, but this is not a specialty for Keith DeSormo. First-time starters going two turns on dirt, this is just not something that he typically excels with. And that's not a knock, it's just typically Keith takes some time with these horses before we see them actually at their best. Horse can win, I don't want him. Papa Molly, I thought was intriguing because Chris Hartman's barn with first-time starters, very similar to DeSormo's. They're not usually cranked up and ready to go, but you can see that this one did take money. This was bet to 6-1 to one in the career debut in a field of nine. Didn't do a hell of a lot of running. Now you stretch out in distance for the second lifetime start. Hopefully this one's a little bit more forward here in lifetime start number two. Wouldn't stun me if this one took a step forward. At 6-1, to one, I'll use this one as a backup. My my opinion, my intriguing, you know, idea in here. And the horse that I would pick is the number three mango tree for Gennady Dorochenko. We know Dorochenko's barn has popped that giant, giant numbers in the past. He had Hero of Order win the Lecompte or the Risen Star, one of the two at, uh, you know, five million to one. I feel like Mango Tree has one way to go. You got to go to the front. The stretch out in distance, this is something Dorochenko's barn has had success with. Second off the bench, stretching out on dirt from six to a route of ground. I just think there's a lot to like about Mango Tree. And again, I'm not convinced, maybe with the exception of a bold delivery, or again, it could, who knows? Any of these horses could take a step forward here. They're still very lightly raced. But the idea of, I would rather be on the lead than having to come from off of it regardless of the breeding, regardless of any of that. At this level, I want to be on the lead. And if I get run down, so be it. But I think speed is dangerous in all races, especially bottom-level maiden climbers going long on dirt. Mango Tree would be my pick in here. I would be using the entry in a pretty heavy selection as well. Uh, and then also, I, I would at least consider the five in a spot like this. We move on to the fourth leg. It's race number eight on Wednesday. Not one is a two-life $15,000 claiming event, about a mile on the turf. Uh, an, another race where there are some shorter prices that I'm sure pe people will gravitate toward. I was only really intrigued with a few horses. I think Dream Master is really, really intriguing in here. He's one of two that I would probably press up in a spot like this. You know, that most recent run draw line through it was first time against winners, and it came on an off track. This is a horse who has blossomed since getting to Brett Calhoun's barn and going two turns on turf. The run three starts back was really solid, and then that win, breaking the maiden two starts back at Remington, visually was really strong. The runner-up has come back to win next out and graduated with a 65 buyer. Yes, Dream Master was on his left lead for the final, call it 16th, maybe just inside the 16th pole. At this level, you know, I'm the king of being nitpicky, but... You know, you got to recognize that there's a reason these horses are at this level. So I'm not going to hold that against him. He finished well. I thought he looked good. The third place finisher of that race as well came back and earned a 63. So I think the fig is pretty legit. I think it's going to be close to good enough to win. Maybe you need to improve slightly, but I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. I think Dream Master is very interesting in here. He's one that I will definitely be using. Uh, Dom Caetano going out for Nacho Correas. Initially, I looked at him. I thought this would be the kind of horse I would like. The problem is, and I didn't write the numbers in, the field as a whole that he defeated is just slow. They're, they're just slow, even including that runner-up who came back and broke their maiden in the next start. Um, not out of the realm that the horse could jump up, but I, I just... The horse was so slow, and there was little for me to really sink my teeth into. He's a pass for me. Uh, the number four, Days of Glory, is a horse that I don't love, but I think if you're, if we're being honest, the horse just needs to be able to get back to what he once was, and that was at the maiden, at the excuse me, at the forty N2L level. If he gets back to that and runs that seventy-five, he probably wins. Um, it is a lengthy layoff. There's no doubt about it. You have no idea if he's going to come back the same. I assume he's going to be in decent enough shape with Santana aboard. Um, he's not the kind of horse that I love, but I, I could very obviously see him winning the race. I do like the number five. Can I have it like that? I thought the run back on October 2nd at Hawthorne against N2L Company was solid. Yes, the pace was very, very hot. Yes, he got a little bit drifty down the lane. If you go back and watch the tape of that race, but he did finish with interest. He was on his left lead at the end as well. And more importantly, I like the form right here. That these horses have come back and they've at least made the, the number look legit. You know, the winner came back and earned a 75 at his next start. Third place finisher, next out winner with a 70 buyer. So I tend to believe that fig. And if you are like me, I try to look for reasons to use and not use certain running lines. 
And for me, this is a horse who, the stretch out to two turns on turf, it's, you know, I suppose if you want to use that subsequent dirt race going two turns, you know, they're they're relatively close. But to me, far and away, the, the best race he's run was that two-turn race on grass. Yes, I know he's run well on slop, going short on, uh, you know, on the main track in the past, but th- that two-turn turf race, I feel like that was sort of a light bulb moment for him. And the last three runs, I don't really care about because they're on the main track. Draw lines through each of them. If you do that, you're left with a 68 buyer, a 97 raw time form US rating indicating. And if we're being honest, if you look and see what those first and third place finishers did in their next start from a speed figure standpoint, the 97 is probably more accurate than the 68 is. You could probably turn that 97 down about 15 points, 20 points, uh, or I should say 20 to 25 points, and that's going to put you in that sort of low to mid-70 range, which that's probably fast enough to win. At 8 to 1, I think you have to use a horse like this. The number 6 is is the horse that I actually like, though. I like Junior Bug. 15 to 1 on the line for Hugh Robertson. Robertson's barn is off to just a, a ballistic start down there in New Orleans. The In another instance, where you go through and you take a look at these, off the turf, off the turf, off the turf. Look at the most recent turf run here. First time against winners on the grass. This running line, I don't think does it justice. Go back and watch the tape. The bug got into a tough position down on the inside. Rounding the first turn onto the backside, the horse was a little bit eager. The rider is standing up straight, trying to get him to relax a little bit. Into the far turn, the pace setter, who's down on the inside, starts to back up a bit. The, the horse is a little bit keen. Junior Bug wants to go. Rider stands up again, kind of checks out of there. Hole opens up at the split in the fence down on the front side. I thought he finished evenly at that point, but realistically, the damage had been done. You need to have that momentum. I don't know if he can pass horses. That's the unknown with Junior Bug. But given the way he broke the maiden, going two turns on turf, and I think that was a troubled line with a still, with a, a pretty respectable speed figure. At 15 to 1, I don't think Junior Bug should be the price that he is. I think he is a more likely winner than that. And compared to some of his contemporaries in this spot, I don't think he's without a shot. He would be my top pick in here. Junior Bug, I might write about him. A couple other horses, though, briefly to touch on before we roll on to the finale of this sequence and we button up this week's pod. The, I think the big one. And that's how we'll wrap this race up. The big one is the outside horse. Because while I did look at Bucky for a moment, unfortunately, I just think this fig is is legitimate and I don't love the chances. If you can spread, I would use Bucky. We'll leave it at that. Uncapped. Uncapped is a horse who not only is plummeting in class, he goes out for top flight connections in Brenda Walsh. He gets back to grass while he's 0 for 13 there. He has run far and away the fastest speed figures. And this is something that, Maybe some of you care about, and maybe some of you don't. I usually, I'm one of those people that says, ah, you know what, post position, yeah, you can get screwed by it, but in the grand scheme of things, I think the best horses typically win out. But, but, I decided to do a little bit of a query. Breaking from the outside, going a mile on turf at the fairgrounds, what does that do for you? As far as your chances of winning. Post 12 and in, the worst percentages are right around 8 9%. Post 13 and post 14. Take a look at these numbers. Again, do with this what you will. I ran this query back through New Year's Day 2015. One mile on grass, post number 13 is 1 for 54. That is a 2% strike rate. Post 14 is 0 for 23. You combine them, 13 and 14 are 1 for 77 at about a mile on grass for a 1.3% success rate now wednesday this horse could very easily make that two for 78 or however if you want to include because the 13 will be in there two for 79 but is he so good that you need to find out at a short price now in a multi-race sequence i would not argue with anyone that says you know what i i have to use him because he is way the horse to beat and if i catch a price somewhere else and i don't have him i'm gonna feel like adult i get it if I just propose it to you in this fashion, is he so far superior to this group that he can overcome a statistic like this? I'm not saying A or nay. I'm not using him solely for that reason. But the question to you is, do you think he is so far 
superior to the rest of the field that it doesn't make a difference that he's just even if he has to carry an extra quarter mile of ground what difference does it make he's six lengths the best I, I won't argue with that and I'm curious this is probably the horse I'm most curious about hearing what other people have to think because again I'm, I'm usually in the camp of if he's the best horse I really don't care what the post situation is he's probably going to end up winning but we're not dealing with superstars here and it's a pretty damning number. One for 77, a mile on turf post 13 and 14 since 2015. New Year's Day 2015. I'm not going to use him, but on numbers alone, he is way the horse to beat in this race. I think this is going to be a, a critical juncture for many people, not just because it's the fourth leg of the sequence, but boy, if you're a numbers player, he is one of the more likely winners of this in the entire sequence. That post position is enough to throw a bit of a monkey wrench into things for me. And there were enough other spots that I wanted to try to get a little bit creative. So I won't be using uncapped. Let me know what you think of his chances in the fourth leg of this pick five sequence on Wednesday. Let's button things up here. The final leg of the sequence, race number nine on Wednesday, state bred. $10,000 maiden claimers, five and a half on the main. These are fillies and mares, three-year-olds and up. I feel like speed is where you want to go in a race like this. And, you know, th there are some pretty gaudy numbers out there for some of these horses. But at the same time, they're just not fast. It's, it's, a, it's a bit of a motley crew. I There are four horses that I was most interested in, two, five, six, and nine. If any of you have, have followed me for any length of time, you, you know that a horse like Gilded Apple is just the antithesis of what I typically look for. She's 0 for 15. She really hasn't run all that fast. She doesn't have a ton of early speed. You know, she's a short price favorite that I just, I don't really like. The blinkers do go on for the first time, and maybe that wakes her up. It's just, I, I'm very torn because deep down, I feel like I should just pitch her. But at the same time, knowing that I have prices in those legs prior, and I'm trying to beat some of the short-priced favorites entirely, you know, is, is this the hill I want to die on? I'm still debating. But I can understand anyone that looks at it and says she's going to win. Galaxy Star has shown a little bit early foot in the past, but I'm not convinced horse is fast enough to win. Divided, certainly I don't see right now. Maybe second off the bench is enough to get the job done. Adina was the one that if I'm looking for an air quotes most likely winner, I kind of felt like it would be this three-year-old filly. Uh, her second start off of a lengthy layoff. She most recently ran in open 12-5 maiden claiming company. Now she goes into the Louisiana bred company. And that that little piece of class relief may be enough to get her over the hump. Three to one on the line. Push comes to shove. She would be my sort of, she wouldn't be my pick but I think she's the most likely winner of the race, even more so than Gilded Apple. If I'm looking for a pick, and again, I say pick, I'm torn between the number nine Holy War, a first-time starter. Look, you can't go wrong when you have a field of horses who have run and they have not run fast. You could do a heck of a lot worse than saying, give me the, give me the stranger. I'm sure Auburn fans will gravitate toward Holy War. This is a three-year-old daughter by War Eagle. 10% first-time starter for this level has worked steadily for the past month and a half. You could do worse. Mitchell Merle's aboard for the debut. But I probably would end up picking the number six. A little bad, a little bougie. For Danny Pish. This is a second-time starter. The horse was bet down to 3-1 to one in the career debut. Mano was aboard. He is named as the rider here. Debuted over a good sealed track. Now, the sire is about 12% with wet runners. The dam was 0 for 1 on a wet track. The reason I I'm inclined to give this one another chance, not only do you have a positive number here for Danny Pish's barn, past two years, dirt sprint, second time starters and maiden races, 9 for 45, but not all horses love wet tracks. And there was obviously something there for her to take the money that she did for a barn who does okay with firsters, but by no means are they all cranked up and ready to roll. So I'm wondering if we get back to a fast main strip for the first time in her career, maybe that's all that she'll need to take that big step forward here. And when I say big step, it really doesn't need to be that giant in order to prevail. My air quotes pick 
would be the number six, little bad, little bougie in the nightcap on Wednesday. Again, the late pick five, there is about a $28,000 carryover races five through nine. I think it's a, a nice little sequence in the middle of the week, kind of getting things going, kicking off the racing week anyway, as far as the big circuits are concerned. Uh, make sure you get involved. I felt like it was a nice chance to take a look at another sequence as well. Uh, what will be in all likelihood the last sequence that we will look at here in 2020. Thanks again to Mark Mahoney helping us out with the Friday feature down at the fairgrounds race number nine. If you want to be in Mark's position uh, at the beginning of the new year, you need to leave your selection beneath the video player on YouTube. You only get one. If you pick the winner, I will contact you and we'll get something set up for January the 4th. Again, as far as next week is concerned, there will be no show on Monday. Show will be recorded on Tuesday. There will, it'll be on YouTube as well as all the other podcast places, but it won't have any sort of real visuals. It'll probably just be a title card slate. Uh, we may go over some Santanita if they've drawn the card. If not, it'll be a bit of a year in review uh, as I get things situated at the new place. Uh, as always, please rate, review, and subscribe, whether you are listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or SoundCloud or in the moneypodcast.com or you are listening and watching on YouTube. Please rate, review, subscribe if you're on YouTube. Make sure that bell icon is lit up so you get notified anytime In The Money Media uploads anything new to the channel. Thank you to everybody who got us up over that 1,000 subscriber threshold. And I believe we are closing on a million downloads for the calendar year 2020. So in a, in a tough year, that's definitely been a bright spot for us. And thank you all for helping out with that. You can follow me on Twitter at Vernier underscore Matt. You can follow me also throughout the week on RacingPicks.com with analysis Wednesday through Sunday. I'll be back next Tuesday with episode 46 of the pod. But until then, best of luck however you play, whatever you play, and wherever you play. This has been episode 45 of the Matt Bernier Show. <laughs>